What tune would convey that feeling? And what would I say when the music ended? Usually, the Capcom would just say something banal like, Good morning, Discovery. Houston with you standing by. Meaning, we're here, but take your time getting your day started. Those couldn't possibly be the first words said, waking up the first Americans to orbit the planet in two and a half years. I mean, that was just way too dull. I knew what I would feel like saying, Good morning, Discovery! I am the only person to have walked in space and gone to the deepest point in the ocean. Hi, I'm Kathy Sullivan, and I'm an explorer. Exploring doesn't always have to involve going to some remote or exotic place. It simply requires your commitment to put curiosity into action. So join me on this podcast journey as I reflect on lessons learned from life so far and from my brilliant and ever inquisitive guests. We'll explore together in this very moment from right where you are. Spaceship not required. Welcome to Kathy Sullivan Explores. Before we take off, I have a gift for you. I believe that no matter where you are today, an active thirst for knowledge will help unlock your ability to live a life of meaning and happiness. So I'm sharing some lessons I've learned on my road less traveled. Over at kathysullivanexplores.com, you'll find my seven astronaut tips to improving your life on Earth. When you sign up, I'll send them to you and also make sure you're the first to discover future podcast episodes and learn more about exciting adventures ahead. Just head on over to kathysullivanexplores.com. Have you ever been so ecstatically happy about something that you couldn't contain yourself and just had to howl out loud? I sure have. And on one of those occasions, legendary comic and actor Robin Williams himself helped me express my joy. Here's the story. This was back in 1988. The source of my glee was the impending launch of space shuttle mission STS-26. This was an event that would mark the end of two of the darkest and hardest years of my life. The hardest years in the life of every astronaut in their families, actually, and really the entire NASA family. Our dark spell started at 11.40 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on January 26, 1986. That was when the space shuttle Challenger exploded, killing all seven souls on board. Were you one of the thousands of school kids watching it on television in your classroom? Regardless, if you were alive, you probably remember where you were when the news reached you. It was a searing morning that led to a huge outpouring of grief across the United States and, and indeed around the world. The explosion launched those of us in the astronaut corps into a draining round of funerals and memorials, many long months of caring for the grieving spouses and kids our colleagues left behind, and deep uncertainty about our own futures. What had gone wrong? Could it be fixed? Would the country have the will to fix it? Or possibly give up on the shuttle altogether? How long would it take to get back to flying? Or would that day never come? I was sad, mad, and worried all at the same time for the next two years. Only a few astronauts were involved in the accident recovery or the investigation or the technical diagnosing of the cause. Most of us watched from the sidelines eager for every new bit of information on what caused the accident and looking for signposts that might tell us which way our world was going. It eventually became clear that NASA would return the shuttle to flight. That was the good news. The tough news 
was that we'd have to resolve an Everest-sized pile of technical problems to get there. We were still slogging through the technical fixes when NASA named the members of the Return to Flight crew. That's capitalized Return to Flight, by the way. This was in early January 1987. Astronauts Rick Houck, Dick Covey, Dave Hilmers, Mike Lounge, and George Nelson, who goes by Pinky. Not that anybody knew when they would launch. Nobody could predict that yet with the huge amount of engineering and testing work that was still ahead. But naming them laid down a marker. We would get the shuttle flying again. Having a real crew also raised people's hopes and put human faces on that still distant goal of getting back to space. I got a direct role in the return to flight mission later that year. I would be one of the Capcoms, which is the title given to the astronaut inside Mission Control who talks to the crew, relaying information up to them and making sure their needs and interests are well understood by the folks on the ground. The six of us assigned as Capcoms would work in rotating shifts of two. I would lead the planning shift, which works while the crew is sleeping to prepare all the updates they'll need for their next working day. Pierre Thuot would ride shotgun with me. Capcom is a really fun job, even on the usually very quiet overnight planning shifts. You're so tightly connected to the crew and the mission events that you're essentially living the mission with them. Well, minus the great view and the delights of zero gravity, of course. The planning shift Capcom gets the extra fun of picking the music that will start playing at the scheduled wake-up time each day to gently tell the crew it's time to get going. Music is a much better wake-up signal than a blaring alarm, right? Clever wake-up tunes also amused the engineers in mission control and often became the anchor point for evening updates about the mission on television. A cool tune could earn you big style points in mission control in the astronaut office. And this is where Robin Williams comes in. I started thinking about the wake-up music months before the launch, which had finally been set for late September 1988. After two and a half painful years, American astronauts would finally be in orbit again. I knew how jubilant I was going to feel when they launched, and was sure at least everyone in NASA would feel the same, and a lot of people across the United States. What tune would convey that feeling? And what would I say when the music ended? Usually, the Capcom would just say something banal like, Good morning, Discovery. Houston with you standing by. Meaning, we're here, but take your time getting your day started. Those couldn't possibly be the first words said, waking up the first Americans to orbit the planet in two and a half years. I mean, that was just way too dull. I knew what I would feel like saying, Good morning, Discovery! Just like Robin Williams belted out, Good morning, Vietnam! in the film of the same name that had come out in December. Pierre agreed, but neither of us could imagine howling like that in the cool, all-business atmosphere of mission control. We thought about ripping Robin's yell from the movie audio, but that would be really hard to do. You know, music and video hadn't gone digital yet. And besides, we'd probably run into big copyright issues that we didn't have time to solve. Then I remembered that my friend Rick Hutto had some pretty good Hollywood connections. Maybe Robin Williams would like to reprise his role as a zany DJ and say the line himself. Talking to outer space, how cool would that be? Rick loved the idea and said he'd try to get through to Robin's agent. The agent got back to Rick a few days later, in fact. Robin loved the idea and was keen to record Good Morning Discovery for us. 
Turns out he had overlapped with astronaut Pinky Nelson at college in California, so he felt a kind of personal connection to the mission. I fed a few bits of information about the mission to the agent so that Robin could tailor his howl and waited to see what would happen. Oh, and I also told him that they had to send me the master tapes. I wanted this to surprise everyone, so couldn't afford to have bits leaking out ahead of time. Sure enough, a few weeks later, a large box from Hollywood landed on my desk. Inside were the original tapes I needed. Pear and I raced over to the media lab and loaded them up for a listen. Robin had apparently shut himself in a sound booth and ad-libbed half a dozen variations on Good Morning Discovery, most of them followed by saucy, joking comments to the crew, most of which would have surely gotten me fired if I had played them on the open communications line up to the shuttle. We patched together his zaniest yell and cleanest joking bit to use for our first wake-up call. Good morning, Discovery! Good morning, Discovery. Rise and shine, boys. Time to start doing that shuttle shuffle. You know what I mean? I was still stewing over my musical quandary when I learned through the grapevine of a guy named Mike Cahill. Mike was a writer and producer at a local radio station who got his space fix by moonlighting as a tour guide at the Space Center. He was a whiz at writing jingles for commercials, and he had been inspired by the upcoming launch to write some very clever spacey lyrics to Beach Boys and Beatles melodies. We tracked him down and asked if we could use some of his tunes. Discovery roared into orbit on September 29, 1988. We were back in orbit at last. At the end of a long launch day... The crew settled into sleep, and Pierre and I began our first shift as planning Capcoms. We were so jazzed about the coup we had scored with Robin and Mike that we could hardly contain ourselves, but the prospect of springing this on the world as a surprise was even more tantalizing, so we kept completely mum about what was on our wake-up tape. In fact, nobody knew what was in store for them. Certainly not the crew, but also none of the NASA brass above us. Nothing could have better captured the spirit of America getting back into space than the combination of Robin's greeting and Cahill's songs. On orbit is the place to be Free wheeling on discovery The proof of this for me is that every major news network in the United States included Robin's yell and the Cahill song I played that first morning in their New Year's Eve summary of the key events of 1988. We had really scored a home run. There's an interesting coda to this story. The music industry at large got wind of what happened with Robin and Mike, including Willie Nelson's people, who knew that astronaut Mike Lounge was a Willie fan. Things quickly turned farcical at this point. Willie's agent tracked me down and phoned to say that Willie would be delighted to write a special song for the mission, too, and where should he deliver the tape? Well, my mission playlist was already full, so I tried to shut him down, but the guy would not take no for an answer. And that's how I found myself in a Johnson Space Center parking lot at three in the morning for a furtive tape exchange with one of Willie Nelson's minions. And no, I never used the tune. By the way, I've linked a video of that first morning in Mission Control to the show notes for this episode. Check it out at kathysullivanexplorers.com if you want to see for yourself how the shock and laughter spread through the room as Robin began to howl. 
That day one song and another of my favorite Cahill tunes is there too. Have a listen and enjoy. Thanks so much for joining me on today's mission. For more solo shows and deep dives with incredible guests, along with all the ways to get the podcast and much more, head over to kathysullivanexplores.com.